I mean it when I say it's an honor because I am a Victory Life member. And when your own church invites you to come in and speak, it means they trust you, right? Amen. Well, and I, uh, all I can say is I, I pray that I give you something to take home with tonight. I pray that we give you something that's meaningful, that's valuable. Because of all those topics that Craig was discussing, I think I got the easiest one. <laughs> I'm just going to talk about money. I'm not going to have to talk about all those other very difficult topics that Micah is dealing with right now or Pastor Lee. But about, uh, well, several years ago, I got into this industry and you have to understand just a little bit about my background. My wife's father is a pastor. Uh, there's a lot of ministers in our family, and I've always said, okay, God, I'll do whatever I feel like you want me to do, whether that's be in the pulpit or whether that's be a missionary, whether that is. But the longer that I worked, the more I felt like God just kept leading me right back into business, working directly alongside with business owners. And, of course, that led me into the area that I'm in now, which is financial advisement. And that is a topic that I feel like is so under-addressed in the local church. And I'll give you examples, unfortunately, that are usually pretty bad because uh, there's something that exists in this world today. And we were, John and Aggie and I were talking about it before service. And many of you have heard of Bitcoin. You've heard of this new currency that uh, is extremely speculative. That means people are trying to get on the ground floor and... Uh, there was an article that came out uh, in a financial article, uh, at least uh, publication, probably about a week ago, and I just kept reading it, and I'm going, this is exactly what the Bible tries to warn against, okay? There was an expression, and it was called FOMO, and it, it means fear of missing out. And every single person that said, I went out and took out a second mortgage, I went ahead and borrowed money, I wanted to get on the ground floor of this, I borrowed $100,000 to try to get on this great new thing, and now it's worth maybe $25,000, i am going to have to work a second job for the next four or five years just to pay this loan back. But they said the same thing. I was so nervous, I was so afraid of missing out that it caused me to make a fearful decision. I can tell you this emphatically, that God is never in the business of, especially as it relates to finances, but in every other area as well, he doesn't allow fear to be his motivation for us to make these decisions. God is very much into seed time and harvest. He's very much into development. He's very much into the processes that it takes that he created but we're the ones that tend to kind of complicate the idea just a little bit because we're either afraid of missing out on something or we have something called ego that says, I want to be the one that actually discovered that. I want to be, the, I want to be able to tell people that I was one of the first investors in something. So many times we have to deal with our, the nature of the flesh just like we do in every other of life and especially in money. So I want to go ahead and at least talk a little bit about uh, some things that I find interesting. And I'm going to read Genesis chapter 3. 14 through 19. And to Adam he said, Because you have listened to the words of your wife and eaten of the tree of which I have commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Cursed is the ground because of you. In pain shall you eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you. And ye shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread. Till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for out of it your dust, and to dust you shall return. Now, this obviously was pretty early on. This is Genesis chapter 3. This was right after the fall. And let's make something real clear about this, okay? We do blame Satan for a lot of things that happen on the earth, but God was the one that actually spoke this over the earth. It wasn't Satan. It was God. He was the one that said, you're going to work on this earth, and it's going to be work, okay? Now, he didn't curse Adam. He cursed the ground. So there's a big difference, Okay. People that think that they're cursed or people that think that God is against them, he's not. He's for you. He's partnering with you, okay? 
But there's no way that we're going to make money on this earth unless we go through the ground. Okay? Think of this just for a second. All right? I like big cities. I like to travel. I like to go places. Okay? I like to look at skylines of cities and think, wow, that was amazing, because most of those weren't even here 50 years ago. Most of them weren't even here 100 years ago, correct? You look at the earth and how it's developed in the last 100 years, practically 99.9% .9 of the tall buildings we see on the planet weren't even around. But if you look at every airplane, if you look at every automobile, if you look at every skyscraper, it was in the earth when God created it. When Adam took over, it was already in the ground. I mean, we don't import materials and goods from other planets as far as I know. So everything that is built is from this earth, right? But what did it take to get that out of the ground? God said, of course, he said that the sun's going to rise on the just and the unjust. So everybody has access to the same ground, okay? Well, what's interesting about that is if you look at where man is today, if you look at the kind of the fruit of the things that we see in society right now, okay, all the craziness that's going on right now in politics, all the debates between communism and socialism, think about how that affects, think about what God said here in Genesis chapter 3 and how it relates to the things that we deal with today, okay? Think 100 years ago when, well, it's been around, Karl Marx has been around for many years before that, but when Lenin... Uh, when he took power in the Soviet Union and he declared it to be a communist state, okay, his promises or his ideology behind communism was so that man didn't have to sweat nearly as much. He didn't have to develop. He didn't have to process as many things. He was going to be able to fight the curse head on, and we were going to band together as human beings, and we were going to basically beat God. Because God said that pulling stuff out of the ground or, pulling, uh, or having to sweat uh, they said, you know what, we don't really like that idea. Every time man comes up with an idea, it's usually because God said, hey, this is the way it's going to be. But man said, you know what, I don't really like that idea. I think we can do better. Okay. Now, I remember probably five years ago when President Obama was speaking at the National Prayer Breakfast, he was quoting the verse of Scripture that said, the poor you will have always with you. And he was quoting Jesus. Well, he wasn't really quoting Jesus. He was using this as an example, and he said, and I quote, I don't agree with that. He said, I think that we can eradicate poverty. And that was the basis of, of most of the decisions that he made was because he believed that God said this, but I think we're smarter than God. Okay, so obviously that wasn't a good start. But if you look at the number of people that have been killed in the past 100 years, it's over 100 million people that said, we side with God, we don't believe in communism. And these governments said, you're going to get in the way of what, we're, of what we're creating here. We're just going to eliminate you. And there's many other examples of that throughout history. But if you look at the schisms in history, the reasons why there's been genocide, the reasons why there's been communism, socialism, any other ism that you can name, it's because this verse of Scripture existed, and man said, I don't really like that verse. I don't really like the fact that we're going to have to do it God's way. But you know what? All God was really saying with that is that you're going to have motivation to get up every day, and you're going to partner with me, and we're going to go out and we're going to till this ground together. You're going to really do the sweating, but I was the one that provided it to begin with. And we're going to partner together, and we're going to make something happen. Okay? Now, that's what motivates, really, if we're being honest, that's what motivates most of us to get out of bed is because we need to have a partnership with God. We need to go out, and we need to fight that battle, which is basically fulfilling God's promises. What does Pastor Dwayne say about work? He says work is worship. Okay? The fact when you stop working, you are really telling God, I don't really believe in your plan. Now, I'm not saying that you can't. If you're disabled, I'm not saying that you're intentionally being disobedient. 
But if you, just, if you say, you know what, I don't like that plan anymore. I'm just going to create my own plan. I'm going to do something illegal. I'm going to try to, well, many ways, of course, that people try to, uh, to try to supplement income by not having to go to work. You can realize that many people actually have those issues that stem from this verse, okay? Well, we always have to find out what our calling is. I think the calling to be in business, in my opinion, is much more honorable than ministry. And I'm sorry, Pastor Craig. I love what you do. I love what Pastor Dwayne does, right? But that's what they're called to do. The biggest mistake that I could make is somebody that decides, hey, I'm going to go into ministry just because I like the attention, okay? The biggest mistake that a minister can make it says, you know what, I really want to do business on the side because it's more fun, it's more glamorous. I'm not saying that you can't do things, but when we focus on what we're called to do, whether it's business or whether it's ministry, that's really where our success lies, right? Wherever it is, okay? Those that are in business should stay in business, and they should expand their business. That's their call. That's what God wants from us, right? Because one of my favorite verses is Proverbs 11:26. It says, people curse the man who hoards grain, but blessings crown him who is willing to sell. Now, when I was 22 years old and got my first job in selling, I memorized that verse because the second half said, blessings crown him who is willing to sell. Okay, now obviously that's not what it was trying to say, but I still said, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to memorize that verse and I'm going to believe it because I'm in sales, so blessings crown him who is willing to sell, right? But actually what it's really saying is, is that the people that develop the processes that we have on this earth are the people that sell things and the people that develop things that all of us need, correct? It doesn't do any good if I raise cattle or if I grow grain or if I grow anything agricultural and I never sell it. That's why it says that people curse the man who hoards it because he's putting it upon himself. But the real honor that we have in life is to commit ourselves to something that produces a product that other people need. So whether or not you're called in ministry, which is a very good calling, or whether or not you're called into business, you're there to develop something that other people need, and God uses that all day long. I really believe that with all my heart, that uh, the past, I don't know, several years will say that we're starting to understand that those callings, they're still callings. Being called into business has just as much influence as being called into ministry. It's just a different part of it. It's just a different process, right? So, amen. Well, us partnering with God means that we have a partner who is going to be our source, okay? When we partner with God in business, that means clearly that we've got the best partner that exists, okay? And he's going to be our source. I believe that with all my heart. Well, some of the shortcuts, if you will, uh, that people try to take in order to make these processes happen. Well, let's think of the first one. What are some of the ways that people try to circumvent work or circumvent sweating, if you will? Okay? First one is stealing. Okay? You know, we live in Durant, and I'm hearing every day of people breaking into cars, people stealing cars. Maybe it's because it's a small town. We came from Tulsa where you didn't hear every single thing that was going on. But I'm just seeing a huge number of people sneaking into neighborhoods and apartment complexes, trying to break into cars, stealing wallets, stealing cars. I mean, it's a pretty high number. I mean, it seems like I know a ton of people lately that have been really affected by that because it's a lot easier to steal than it is to go to work, correct? Okay, for many people it is anyway. Okay, illegal drugs. 
How many movies have we seen lately that have come out in the past five years, popular television shows, where basically the whole crux or the whole design behind the, at least the plot and the theory, was somebody found a way to import traffic drugs, became incredibly wealthy, okay, and uh, didn't get caught, okay, at least for a while, and then it all came crashing down later, right, because it always does, okay. They make more movies now about people getting rich selling drugs than they ever do about hardworking businessmen, right? <laughs> they really do, okay? Third thing to think about, and this might hit a little closer to home. We were talking about this as well. Pyramid schemes, okay? How many people have, maybe not here in Boswell, but I'll promise you this. If you've ever lived in Tulsa, which we did for years, we were part of a pretty large church there, how many things came through the doors of that church in the name of God, if you will, people promising to promote the will of God with their, their process. Now, some of these people were honestly very sincere. They meant, they meant well. Uh, they were convinced by somebody else that if you just sell this product, you'll get rich and you won't have to go to work anymore. And if you go to any of these meetings, I'm thankful to say that I, I haven't, not for a very long time, but they will tell you over and over again, that work is the enemy. The whole reason why you're here and the whole reason why you're going to promote this product is so you don't have to go to work anymore. You can sit at home. You can go play golf four days a week. Okay? I had a friend of mine that actually did that. I've counseled several people that have sat across from me in my office, got involved in something pretty early, and was fairly successful. I'm talking about people that were, at that point, probably making between three and $400,000 a year through something that they started years ago. Okay. I can tell you this, those people, many of those people that I dealt with that got rich fairly quickly, their finances were horrible because they spent money like it was free. They never set money aside properly. They got into debt heavily. They didn't manage their money well. Why? Because money gained too quickly and too easily sprouts wings. That's what the Bible teaches, right? Money gain, growing slowly over time is how you keep it. Now, that's the boring way, Okay. When people find out that I'm a financial advisor, they always kind of corner me a little bit, uh, and they say, okay, well, give me, give me, in five minutes, tell me two or three good stocks. Or, and I always have to tell them, look, that's not really the way I operate. That's not really the way I want to do things. I'd rather get to know you. I'd rather hear a little bit more about your finances, and I'll make a recommendation after we get to know one another. But I'm probably too boring for many of them. Most of my, probably my closest clients and the people that I've worked with for many years these are people that have just gradually been consistent with what they're doing over time. They've made good decisions. They've managed their debt, okay? And they've grown a little bit over time. Every year, they're a little bit better than the last, okay? The worst clients that I've had are the people that no matter how much money I make for them, it's still not good enough. It just is never good enough for them because they've listened to somebody on the way in that told them, you should be doing this, you should be doing that. People that they've never met before giving them financial advice and somehow that person is infallible because they speak over the radio or on television. Right? I'm not saying that that's all bad. I'm saying that you can't believe everything you hear. Okay. Now, fourth thing that I say, uh, I'll say this, uh, bad investments. Churches and nursing home, probably the two most common places where fraud exists. Okay. Same reason as I mentioned before, fear of missing out. Okay. I know of a guy, and I, I, I'm sad to say I didn't know him personally. We weren't friends, but this was a guy that came to a church like this, wasn't here, uh, 
he did something that I would say was pretty smart, if you will. Okay? He got involved in hospital visitation. Right? This was a guy that uh, his wife sang on the praise and worship team. He would prophesy uh, during service, and people would go, wow, that was really good. There was no reason for you to disagree with this guy. I mean, he was, if you will, he was somewhat of a pillar. Okay? He got involved in hospital visitation, and he would, he would go visit some of the older people that were in the hospital, and he would sit with them, talk with them for probably an hour. And toward the end of the conversation, he'd bring up the topic of money. What are you guys doing for your investments? And they'd say, well, I've got this and this, but I'm not sure how it's doing. I've got 20000 over here. These weren't extremely wealthy people. These were people that had worked and saved, and, and whatever they had was very important to them. And his last line was, well, why don't you let me handle that for you, and you can bring that money, and you can bring your money over to me. Well, this was somebody that they had, already, had probably already prayed for them, and in some cases prayed for them, and they'd already even actually received some kind of physical manifestation even. He had a gift. This guy was very gifted, Okay. As soon as that money left their possession and he took it and invested, that money was gone, never to be seen again. Well, we found out years later that he had done that to several people. Everybody was too embarrassed to come out and actually admit what had happened because they trusted this guy, didn't want to speak against him. Everybody liked him, okay? He was a wolf in sheep's clothing is what he was, and he was taking advantage of people, and it's because it was under that guise of ministry people were afraid to speak and, and say anything whatsoever. There are some rotten people inside churches, especially when it comes to money. Okay, we've all heard the stories, okay? And I tell people, and I'll say it again, if they can't get arrested and they can't get fired, you probably shouldn't give them money. That's a pretty safe guideline. Because you can legally hand them money and they can run off with it, and if you handed it to them, they won't even go to jail. It's called buyer beware, caveat impart. Okay, which that's what it means. Now, Isaiah 28.10 it's precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little, there a little, okay? When people ask and say, well, what is the secret to financial success? It's always going to be one step at a time, right? Steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, not the leaps and bounds, but the steps. What's going to be the next step for you, okay? And that's typically the way that it should be, and that's the way I believe that God has said it very clearly in his word, okay? Now, there's a few things that we can do, uh, and I'll tell people this, look, if you want to spend money on certain things, if you have an idea about some great stock tip or some idea that you feel like is a, is a, it's a win, okay, do, do that with the money that's not foundational. Don't do that with your bread and butter money, okay? Don't ever fall under fear of missing out, okay? I'll, you know, I, I joke about this, but uh, there's a lot of people that have done very well financially that I've had the privilege of sitting across from, and what they'll admit is, well, the bulk of my retirement is invested very safely and invested the right way. And they'll admit usually at some point, well, I, I try to do some stuff on the side, you know, just with my own money, stuff that's, you know, not foundational. And nine times out of ten, they'll admit to me, I thought I had a sure thing, so I invested in it. And sometimes they win and sometimes they lose. And when they try very hard to do their own thing uh, without outside help, they usually break even. That's okay. But you know what? Most of the time when we're looking at investing, we just cannot let fear and we cannot let greed be our motivator. It just can't happen. So, and that's, and that's biblical. I will believe that. Okay? As I said, Proverbs 23, when your eyes light on it, it's gone. For suddenly it sprouts wings, flying like an eagle toward heaven. 
Proverbs 27, 23 says, know the state of thy flocks. Okay? I think that was obviously written uh, to be literal. Obviously, there's a lot of people who know what that means literally. If we're in Boswell, right? Probably many of you have flocks of some kind, right? Well, what that means is it doesn't matter if you're a farmer. It doesn't matter if you're a banker. I mean, you have an understanding of where your finances are. And when I sit down with people, I always encourage them, look, if your basement's flooded, just go down there and see how bad it is. Open the door, look down there, figure out a way to start getting out of that mess, okay? But many times, especially people that I work with uh, in the church, it's easier just to say, you know what, I'm just going to let God handle this. And that usually means I'm just going to kind of leave things as they are, and I'll just pray that God works it all out. But he encourages us to partner with him. And sometimes those things are very fundamental. Sometimes they're just very boring. But you know what? There's a process that we all go through. Uh, and I believe that the more we embrace that process, the easier it gets as we go. And as we embrace that process, we start to understand that God has a very specific plan for us, but he wants us to be involved. He wants us to have at least input into what we're doing and understanding of what we have. Uh, I, just, I say that time and time again, that most of the time... I'm really just encouraging people to take whatever that next step is, and many times that's, you know what? Uh, I'll go over this in just a second, but I, I find it interesting if you, if you study history, if you study, well, the history of this country, for example. My great-grandfather came from Italy. My wife's family came from Armenia. And in some cases, people came to this country because they were running from something bad, either it was a war or a famine, Many times it was just an opportunity, okay? But if you look historically at the, the most of the people that came over, the stories are all very similar. Did you ever hear a story of an extremely wealthy immigrant that decided to pack everything up, jump on a boat, come to America, and start over? Usually not. It was usually the story of the guy that came over with $50 in his pocket, okay? And it's because the situation was just untenable. He couldn't handle... Uh, the way life was going, and he thought, you know what, it's better to go ahead and get on the boat and come over and find out, you know what, there's always an opportunity. There's always, there's always a way to do it, okay? There's always, there's always a solution. Well, if you look at history and you study the people that came over, uh, however, mostly on boats, of course, what you find out is that many of those people that came over and started this country came over with very little, okay? But look at where our country is now. It's one of the wealthiest in the history of the world, seeded by people who basically got in a boat, came over with what they had in their pocket, and started working extremely hard because that was God's plan all along. Okay? Well, what did those people do to make that work? Okay? First thing they did, my grandparents, most of our grandparents were, they were ninjas when it came to budgeting. Okay? The first foundational thing they did was budget. Okay? I always talk about my grandmother because... She was incredibly good at budgeting. Uh, she decided, because her life didn't go the way she wanted it, that she wanted to make sure that she did something for her family. Okay? She worked as a secretary for Schlumberger Oil and Gas in Tulsa. Okay? Invested wisely, saved money, pretty good budgeter. Put my sister and I through four years of college each, paid for it all. Bought us automobiles because she decided she wanted to do something different and wanted us to get on the right path. And that was her goal. 
Now, I used to go into her kitchen, and when I would open up certain drawers, I would find about 300 green rubber bands in there that she had saved from all the copies of the Tulsa World that came on her doorstep. I'm not suggesting you need to do that. I think it was it's pretty cheap to buy rubber bands, right? You can buy a million of them for about $2, right? But she thought, well, what if I need those? I'm not saying we have to go to that extreme, but I think that we're, there's a big difference between that and where many people are today in terms of their mentality of budgeting. It's okay to have a budgeting mentality uh, in life. It's okay to have that. It's fine. I think it's perfectly nece necessary to do that. Uh, I think it's okay when I talk about knowing the state of your flocks. People always ask me, what's the first step that we need to do? Well, the first thing you need to do is you need to go ahead and manage your finances and figure out what you're spending your money on. Go ahead and do a spreadsheet if you have to. And every single month, take about 30 minutes and go through and figure out how much this month you spent on food, how much you spent on gas, how much you spent on your electric bill. Because, you know, if things are out of control, you're probably not going to remember it by looking at your bank statement. You're going to go through and actually look at those things and go, you know what, for me, knowing the state of my flock knows, I know exactly how much money that I'm spending. I know what I'm spending it on. My business and my personal expenses. Many of you guys already know this, but I think it's a good, I think it's a good lesson. Okay? Second thing that we look at uh, when it comes to actually, I will, I'll just say partnering with God, we're controlling our risk. Okay? We're managing our assets well, but we're controlling the potential things that can happen in our life that are really bad. And there's many ways to do that. Okay? Third thing is we're looking for ways to invest. Uh, I don't know about you, but since the interest rates are at the lowest point they've been historically in our country, CDs, money markets, and savings accounts typically aren't the way to go when it comes to investing <laughs> because those things are hovering about a half a percent. And that's because they'll always mirror what interest rates do. When interest rates start going up, then you'll start seeing those things affect. But when we talk about investing, there's going to be several different ways to do that, which I won't get into now. But I, th I personally think that there's many ways to do things properly uh, without putting every, all your eggs into one basket. Uh, you don't have to do everything into stocks and bonds, but I think there's several ways. There's no way that we're going to get ahead unless we're doing some type of investing as well. Okay. Fourth thing is I think it's important to have a legacy goal or a legacy plan. And what does that mean? That means it's in your heart, and I believe that God has given, has planted that seed in all of us that we want to give to our children and our children's children, right? Amen. We want to find a way to do that. That's extremely biblical, okay? So legacy planning, and it doesn't have to be the same for every person, but it's a desire that you want to train your children and possibly grandchildren on to be able to handle money well enough to where that if they do receive money someday from you, that they'll be able to handle it, okay? I'll ask a question. You can answer. I'm just going to kind of involve you guys just a little bit, okay? Uh, inheritance is a pretty popular topic nowadays because many of the baby boomers that are in their 70s are part of the wealthiest generation that's ever existed. So the, the trillions of dollars that are getting ready to pass from that generation to the next is fairly substantial. And it's almost a case study because you can look and see how people respond to receiving money and how it affects them. So I'll ask you guys just a question, and you can shout out the answer. Average inheritance, whether it's $1,000 or whether it's $10 million, how long do you think it lasts until it's depleted by the next generation? Parent dies, leaves money to their kid. How long do you think that kid? One year? 
Well, you're, you're all really close. The correct answer is 18 months, regardless of the amount. Okay? So what does that mean? It means that there's a lot of people that, for whatever reason, either didn't receive that instruction from their parents, never bothered to learn, or didn't have somebody in their life that could really help them, whether that's a financial advisor, whether that's someone they trusted. They thought that they could do it on their own, and I've seen it time and time and time again. Somebody sells a house, they decide I'm going to invest in this or that. Nine times out of ten, if they enter into something like that without the knowledge and understanding, they usually base their information on something they've heard, and nine times out of ten, they're usually losing money, okay? Because there's, it's very difficult to predict what to invest in. It's very difficult to time the market, and people have lost trillions of dollars by trying to figure out what that next step is on their own, okay? I'm not saying it's not possible to do, but there's a very small percentage of people that actually are very successful at that. There's other ways to handle it uh, without taking that kind of risk. So I just give people, I encourage them, listen, you just have to, you have to be willing to talk to people about things like that. Those are pretty big decisions as well. Interesting as well, as I work a lot with business owners, and you have to understand, first-generation business owner is somebody who has started a business on their own, okay, pulled themselves up by their bootstraps, as we say, got their hands dirty, built something up, understood what it took to do that, and when it came time to pass it on to the next generation, which is usually their sons, son-in-laws, whoever, you see a, a very fundamental shift between first generation, second generation. First generation knew what it took to build that. Second generation many times doesn't know what it took to build that. So their motivation is, I'm going to hold on to this business, but it's not, it's not in my best interest to be generous and to partner with people and develop relationships. I'm going to try to hold on to this business as much as I can. I'm going to hold on to the capital. I'm not going to invest in new things. I'm going to do very little. I'm not going to take that much risk. And I'm not going to, and really the biggest priority in, in their life is themselves in many cases. I'm not saying that 100%, but I've seen that pattern play out many times. You see, obviously when God calls us to be in that relationship or in that position, he calls us to be the kind of person that relies and partners with him. It's no different in ministry. It's no different in business. So it's interesting to kind of see how that unfolds because God's principles are the same whether you're a first generation or second He's the one that really needs to be involved in that. Even if you don't know who God is, his principles still work. They work every time. So we've got a couple minutes left, and I wanted to make sure that we opened it up. I think there was a little bit of Q&A, question and answer. If you guys have anything, I'm, I'm here to do that. I, I hope at least uh, at the very end of things that you are encouraged a little bit uh, because it can be a very ominous topic to talk about money. Uh, and there's so many opinions and so many theories about the way things should be done. So one of the reasons we moved here was because we wanted to help the people of Victory Life not make the same mistakes that I've seen other people make in terms of irrational emotional investing or fraud. Uh, and we came to Durant probably three years ago, I think tomorrow actually, uh, to open an office in Durant so we could help people do that. And that's why we did that. So I'm going to open it up. We've got about 10 minutes until Pastor Craig comes back up. Any questions or any topics that you guys have, uh, any pebbles in your shoe, as I like to say, anything that's bothering you that you really want to talk about? Well, real estate has been probably the fastest growing segment of all the different categories in the past 15 years. It's been the most profitable. Uh, the, 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 the great thing about it is, is that obviously there's, there's always a need for it. 
But just like every other single segment of that investment portfolio, there's going to be some great years and there's going to be some really rough years. So if you're the kind of person that can handle the highs and lows and you have the capital to do it, it works really well. But the average person can't do that. The average person doesn't have the patience or capital to really make that work. I've got a lot of people, especially down here, that say, what about rental property? Hey, that's great. If you can find a renter and you're the kind of person that likes to put up with that, you know, with renters, and you're the kind of person that likes to fix things all the time, it might be great. But if you watch HGTV, they may look extremely easy, don't they? And after people usually do it for about five years, they say, this is crazy. I got to get out of it. So I don't know how to answer your question other than to say, it's like any other subset. It's like when people say, well, what about just buying more cows? Well, that's a commodity. If you look at the history of commodities, one year they're doing great, the very next year they're doing not so great. So if you can handle that and you have the capital to make it through those rough years, then you can certainly come out. But as I said, the average person doesn't have the, uh, the courage, if you will, or the capital to make it through those highs and lows as easy. So I don't know if that was the answer. But obviously, people have made a lot of money in real estate. <laughs> Great question. Yes, sir. Sure. Right. Okay. It is. Yep. Municipal bonds. Well, I think a bond, uh, if you look at any investment profile, a bond usually takes no more than anywhere from 5 to about less than 20% of a portfolio. And the reason people invest in bonds is because they're safer, they have a guaranteed rate of return, but they don't necessarily earn that much either. I mean, if you're looking at a good bond, what is, let's say you get 4%, that's a good bond yield. Okay. So why do people invest in bonds? It's the same reason they used to put their money in a savings account, because... If the market had a bad year, your money wouldn't go backwards. It would stay safe. Okay? I think that uh, every portfolio should have something related to that, uh, a percentage of bonds or a percentage of something that's not going to, we call it safe money in my office because it's not going to go backwards if we have another 2008. But obviously, you're not going to put everything into bonds typically. Uh, but I, I definitely think that they're, they're, there's still a little bit of risk in, in several of them, but it's not as risky as just going straight into stocks. So I, I definitely agree with you on that, and I think that it's, it's good. And the older we get, the more we do invest in things like that because we're not as concerned about the money that we're going to make as much as we're concerned about losing the money we have. That's, that's a very common emotion the older we get, and a very right emotion, I think. But when you're younger... Uh, you've got more time to kind of navigate through those years, so you're not putting as much into that bucket uh, as you will later. So that's another good question. Yes, sir. Right. Oh, yeah. And you go in there, and it might be five years, seven years, ten years before you probably get double digits. Do you understand that? Yeah, there, there's, 
I don't recall the exact title of that as well. I mean, I've, I've heard of several instances like that where somebody has a permanent life insurance product and mm. it's, it's, not, uh, it's guaranteed to pay out at some point. And you're basically investing in that and they're paying that individual money. Uh, and then when they pass away, then you're getting some of that insurance proceeds. So I've never recommended that because I've, I've found other ways, I think, to be, uh, in my opinion, a little bit more secure. Uh, they will pay out, but I just don't feel comfortable trying to do that on someone else's life insurance, personally. Uh, I think there's, there's many other ways to, to make that money grow without, um, without involving yourself in those situations. And, I, and I've heard a lot of different stories about that, but I typically don't operate in that realm uh, because I haven't found it to be something that I uh, would really encourage people to do personally. That's just my opinion. So I, I've heard of it, and yeah. Okay. Got a few more minutes. Mr. Smee on the front row. What about the question of signing surety for somebody? Okay. What are your thoughts? Well, it depends on who it is. <laughs> uh, you're talking about being a co-signer on a loan. Um, I don't know if I would ever do it for somebody unless they were family. That's my personal opinion. Uh, if somebody can't get a loan without the help of somebody else, I think it just depends on the situation. And, you know, the Bible tells you not to enter into an agreement too quickly. It doesn't say to not do it at all. So there are exceptions and there are reasons why there might be a time to do it if you really feel led to do it. But usually situations like that, once again, they can't be, they can't be knee-jerk reactions. They can't be quick. They have to be processed and there has to be several discussions about it. In other words, enter it in slowly if you're going to do it. Another good question. Yeah. Some of you are thinking. Yeah. No. What about the day trading stocks? Would you think that's irrational and goes against well, things? Well, the short answer is yes, I do. Uh, and the reason is is because there's too many potential negative effects that happen as a result of that. And why do, why do people typically start to do that? Because they're afraid of missing out. They're trying to find the next Google. They're trying to find the next Facebook stock because they want to be that guy that got in on the ground floor and made easy money. So I've never met somebody that's been successful at it. I'll just tell you that. I've met a few people that have made money at it for a while, and then eventually it caught back up with them when they broke even or lost a little bit. I've never found anybody successful at that. And unfortunately, I feel like that it's there's too many ways to invest over a long period of time to make money. They're typically just wanting to make money quickly. So I would, I would encourage anybody, if you want to do it for fun because you've got $100 to blow, I would consider that the same as going over here to Choctaw and just playing the slots. I'd probably, I'd probably have more respect for it if you did the slots, personally, than trying to be a day trader because at least you're, at least you're there to have fun, right? Don't record that. <laughs> Anyway, I hope that answers your question as well. But Yes, sir. We've got one in the back, so we're going to wait for TJ to make them. 
think we're about ready to wrap up too, right? Okay. Well, what about, you know, there's different people that's got different gifts in different areas. Sure. Uh, and I, to me, uh, is it, or let me put in a question for Sure. We need to find what we're gifted at. Absolutely. Whether we're a mechanic or whatever. Absolutely. Whatever, right. And, and pursue that. Absolutely. And what do we invest in? Well, you know, if you're an, the average person, like, you know, we talk about what we're called to do. Ultimately, everything that we're going to be doing is some kind of service, whether you're a doctor, lawyer, minister, financial advisor, you're serving somebody. And the, and the better you are at serving people, the more money you're going to make ultimately, okay, because you're good at what you do and you help more people. So you, I don't know if you're asking what the average person invests in, but I always tell people there's always three things that you're looking when you're trying to invest, and you're always asking, okay, number one, uh, what's the rate of return? That's what people always ask me when they come in the office. How much am I going to get if I invest this money? And that's always the first thing people want to know, okay? The second question they should be asking is, what are the taxes on that investment? If you can figure out a way to avoid paying taxes on an investment, then you're increasing your rate of return, okay? Third thing is, you have to know the person you're working with, what is their fee? And they always have to disclose that, okay? When I moved to Durant, I found several people in the church that had invested in this particular product where the, the annual fee was almost 4%. So when the market was only making 5 and 6%, they were only making 1 and 2%, okay? And they had no idea. They didn't know. They didn't, nobody told them. So I always say, listen, you've, you've got to be working with somebody that will at least tell you that information so that you know. And those are three things that I think anybody can take with them regardless of what they do. Go ahead. Sorry, I hope I answered that. Okay, make sure I do before. Go ahead. Early in your, your discussion this evening, you yeah. mentioned that uh, the fear of missing out. Sure. And and that's a that's an obvious uh, uh, fear, and it's fear driven. Right. And I couldn't agree with you more. Uh, you use the, uh, but the, couldn't that be applied in many different areas other than sure. Bitcoin? I mean, oh, yeah. it can be applied in any stocks or oh, yeah. bonds or anything like that. Bitcoin has just been in the headlines lately because so many people have wondered if they missed out. And it's, it's, we'll just call that a hot button. So most people that don't even invest have heard of that because they always talk about the guys that are making money in Bitcoin until they don't put that much emphasis on all the people that have lost because it's not really going to be good for people to wake up and become smarter investors uh, as far as the media is concerned, they don't really want you to think that way. They want you to keep coming back to them to get information, right? Mm -hmm. So you are exactly right. I think that there's unlimited number of examples. Uh, fear of missing out has caused more issues in the average person than probably anything else just because they feel, if I don't do this, then I'm a failure. Mm -hmm. And where do you think, obviously, that comes from? It doesn't come from God. God never, uh, he never ministers to us that way. He's always the one saying, slow down, think this through, uh, and make sure, obviously, that you've kind of counted the cost, whereas the opposite is preying on our insecurities and preying on everything else that we have, and our ignorance, if you will, which I'm, I don't mean to be critical, but ignorance is probably the biggest issue that the local church suffers from when it right. relates to finances. Yeah. Uh, they don't know who to ask. Sorry. Well, no, I was just, uh, just to follow that up is, is uh, for fear that, uh, that 
someone might have the wrong idea concerning a Bitcoin is that right. it is a non-manipulable. Uh, it's a currency. Yeah. Currency. Right. So unlike many other currencies that can be manipulated, right. uh, it, it has a, an ability not to be. Yes, there. It's just that the the value of it fluctuates wildly. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. Without a doubt, and that's very hard for most people to handle. Uh, I had a client that sold a piece of property, and this was they did this unfortunately before I met them, but they decided they were going to invest in three individual pharmaceutical stocks because that's what they read at the time was, you know, was, was, was not going to miss. Uh, by the time I got to working with them, that, that 80000 was worth about 30000 And they were in a position where if they sold it, they were going to guarantee that loss, so they've just held on to it, and I don't know where it is today. But the point of that is, is that if, if you don't know what you're investing in, even if you read and hear about it, you've, you've got to have uh, opinions of either other people that have already done it or people that actually know a little bit more about it rather than just saying I'm going to do this now and I'm going to make sure of it because I think the Bible clearly states that hey slow growth is better than fast loss uh, but there's ways that you can still make that grow without experiencing uh, absolute failure so I think I'm going to hand it back over to Craig and I hope that there was some bits of information that you guys picked up tonight hopefully it was helpful a little bit so go ahead Thank you.